Sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 522, 522 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record, where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. Now, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, wherever you listen to it, as well as leave us a review. Really helpful to get your feedback about what we can do to make this an even better, more valuable experience for you. Now, if you'd like to see show notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 522. That's 522. There you can find our timestamp breakdown of this and all the conversations here on Accelerate. So make sure you go there and check it out. If there's something you heard during the episode, didn't catch at the time, want to go back and quickly scan where you can find it, that's the resource. andypaul.com forward slash 522. Joining me on this show for the first time is Roy Ranani. Roy is the CEO and co-founder of Chorus.ai, which helps improve conversion rates through better conversations. Now, besides being a successful entrepreneur, Roy is a very smart guy about artificial intelligence and AI and sales. And I've had a lot of guests on the show recently who have had some thoughts about AI and the impact it's going to have on your sales life, our sales life. And I have some ideas about this as well. So I thought, why not get an expert on the show to talk about AI and machine learning and Help us see where things are really going to go. So, Roy, welcome to Accelerate. Thank you, Andy. It's great to be here. It's an honor to have you here. So, a question I, I lead off most conversations with these days, standard question is, in your mind, what's what's the single biggest challenge facing sales reps today? Oh, wow. Um, that's, a, that's a big one. Is it sales reps or is it sales teams? Yeah, either way. Well, I think I, I think the single biggest challenge that sales teams face is getting, you know, things are changing so often that the thing that's really going to differentiate you as a team uh, and as an organization is how quickly you learn and how quickly you can get that learning from, you know, the front lines to the top back to the front lines. Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you actually drive change through to the front lines and make sure that it's happening? Um, because like anything, you know, I don't believe in a single person or I don't believe in um, a single way of doing things. I believe in process. And I think with process, you know, you're just continuously learning and trying to push those changes through seeing if they work continuously improving. And, um, and I just think it's really hard to do today, given how quickly things change, how quickly we release updates to features, how quickly things change in a market with competition, how quickly people change over in an organization. And so just creating that machine that's good at learning um, and and driving change through, I think is is really hard these days. 
Now, you said to go from the front lines to the top and back to the front lines. So the top meaning what? Well, you know, in a lot of organizations, initiatives start top down. Right. And, mm-hmm. and in sales organizations, I think there's, you know, that's no different. But a lot of the ideas will come from individual managers or individual reps, right, that pick up on something and say, hey, yes. you know, we should be doing this. Right. And so I think it's just having that, you know, having that communications mechanism where ideas can bubble up to the top. And as an organization, you can say, hey, this is one of the three things that we're going to focus on this quarter. And then making sure that um, you can successfully roll that through um, the rest of the organization on the front lines. Got it. Got it. Okay. Well, great answer. Great answer. Okay. So before we jump too much further into it, so tell us a little bit about Chorus.ai. I mean, what was the impetus to start the company? What was the the hole in the the market you were filling? Yeah. Well, you know, it's it, it was a combination of the technology um, that we need to solve this problem, um, being in the right place at the right time, and me having some personal experience in sales. Uh, from 15 years ago when I was uh, putting myself through school. Um, you know, fundamentally at Chorus, we think that the most important thing that any salesperson does is have a conversation with a prospect. Because obviously all of your revenue is built on how you lead those conversations and how they go. And, you know, unless a manager is sitting in on a meeting, there's just no way to know what's going on. And they can't because they have so many things going on and a team is having hundreds of meetings every month. And so, it just felt like this big gap. Like, is there is there anything that's so fundamental to the performance of a business that we don't understand and that we're not measuring? And and I think outside of the conversations that we're having, I, I can't think of a of a of a better example. And sure. so the idea behind Chorus was, you know, how how do we make it easy for you to measure and improve your sales team's performance in meetings? And um, you know, that was that was essentially it. Okay. Well, and that's that's true. I mean, it's if you're a manager and and you know you ask a sales rep, you know, what happened in this meeting, the recollection is imperfect at best, and it's not a reflection on on the individual. It's just that it's you know our memories are faulty, right? I mean, we we don't remember things accurately. Even in, I mean, taking notes certainly helps, but um, you know, short of manually transcribing the conversation, there's there's things that are missed. Yeah, and, and being able to actually roll that up across the organization is a big part of it. So, you know, one of the things that we do is create a dashboard for each rep that gives you really simple metrics about the quality of the conversations that you're having based on things that we've found matter, right? So things like your talk-to-listen ratio mm-hmm. or things like how many good questions are you asking that's really getting a prospect to surface the information that you need to close a deal, all the way down to the things that are important to you uh, in your sales process, So, you know, it might be something as simple as, um, you know, you're having a challenge converting trials to paid and you just want to know, are we having a conversation about success criteria before we kick off trials? And if we do, then does that actually improve our conversion rate? And today there's actually no way of doing that um, at scale. And so being able to do that without having to shadow a call is is just a different way of managing. Um, And so... We're working with companies that are trying to figure out how to how to make sales a little bit more data driven and, and get that insight into into the conversations. Well, I think that it's not just data driven, at least from my perspective, not just data driven, but it's it's um, you know cause and effect, right? I mean, we we've, we've got no shortage of data in sales, but we have a hard time, I think, drawing correlations. And certainly, well, maybe no, maybe not a hard time drawing correlations. I think it's easy to draw correlations based on confirmation bias, but but you know, here, since you actually hear the call, 
to me, it seems like you get a little bit closer to saying, yeah, there's there's a cause and effect here that we can actually trace. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. And, and actually, I would take it one step further because one of our, you know, one of our philosophies at Chorus is that you, you know, data for the sake of data isn't helpful. We want to make it actionable for you. And so, you know, one of the pieces of analysis that we did for a customer was around competitors. And they wanted to know, hey, you know, when a competitor comes up in a conversation, does that mean we're doing better or worse, right? Like, what impact does it have? And it's easy to pull that up and identify a correlation. But the more interesting thing that we found was that competitors come up much more often when a rep asks a simple question, right? So I'm going to, I'll put you on the spot. What do you, what, what do you think a question is that, that could get somebody to talk about competition? <laughs> I, I always ask who else they're talking with. Yeah, that, I mean, that's exactly it. And, and it turns out that most reps don't actually ask that question consistently, right? And so if you, if you have a, if you're in a really competitive market, what you're interested in is not, you know, how often are competitors coming up in calls? What you're interested in is, hey, are we consistently asking the question, what other solutions are you looking at? And if you do that, the results actually, you know, kind of make themselves in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, gosh, we could spend a whole half hour talking just about that question <laughs> and why that's an important one to ask. So, um, so I, just moving a step further, is, is so, I mean, the company name Chorus, but I always call it Chorus.ai because you've got the extension AI. So, obviously, it talks about, you know, hints at artificial intelligence. So, are you using AI in Chorus? And if so, you know, what's the role of it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, there's... I think that there's a lot of marketing hype in AI right now, and so there's <laughs> yes, a lot of AI in anything. There's a lot of AI in anything that you do. I think that if people, and you know, until people see a product that's actually having a conversation for a rep and behaving human, um, they're going to say it's not real AI. Um, in reality, AI is is a type of machine learning, right? right. And, and machine learning, you know, when you boil it down, at least you know my simple explanation is how do you learn without having to be explicitly programmed. That's what, that's what it is. So it's the type of algorithm that gets smarter with more data. It gets good at identifying patterns. It gets good at predictive tasks. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you, you have that as a consumer um, in your, uh, you know, when you're typing on your smartphone and automatically corrects what you're typing, you're using machine learning, maybe it's AI, right? right. Um, right. If you're speaking to Siri, you're experiencing all of that. Um, and so at Chorus, we're using machine learning and AI from everything from, transcription, which is let's, let me listen to a bunch of sounds and figure out what words you're using, um, which we built in house all the way through identifying patterns in your conversations to help you understand what it is about a conversation or a rep that helps them close more deals or advance, uh, deals more effectively. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, so (laughs) obviously with, when you talk about AI, I mean, it, a certain segment of the sales population, it sort of strikes fear into their heart, right? Because they think, as you said, to the point, if you get to the point where uh, computers having a conversation, um, yeah, they worry about being replaced. And to me, that seems like that's sort of a a meaningless fear. I mean, I I see sort of the AI, you know, you certainly are using it in one environment, other environments, you see it being used to sort of handle a lot of the repetitive tasks that perhaps reps don't need to handle right that that you know don't contribute to selling time with a prospect mm-hmm. and so what i was just gonna say is so how do you sort of see it, it playing out yeah you know i think i think that there are two categories of ai um in, in in sales in particular um there are definitely the types of ai that replace 
I, I wouldn't say that they replace humans. They usually replace a very specific task that a human does. So, uh, you know, there's a company called Conversica, for example, and they do something really interesting where they have an AI bot that will automatically and relentlessly follow up on every inbound lead that you have so that you never miss an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And the idea is, you know, if a lead comes in the middle of the night or if it's something that's, you know, it's a personal Gmail address and it's whatever, uh, a human's not going to be as aggressive as an AI would. And what the AI can do is once it sees that there's a signal and it sees that there's engagement, it can then hand it off to a human. And so in that case, we actually are replacing you know, a human or at least a, a part of that uh, inbound SDR's role. And the AI is probably going to be able to do it as effectively and in some cases more effectively than a human would. Well, and um, arguably, if you look at industry research into lead follow-up, you <laughs> actually, that's probably doing something that most reps don't do, which is actually follow-up. Exactly, exactly. And so, so there, there are some specific use cases where I think, you know, the technology really lends itself to what's happening. Um, you know, and then there are some, some other situations where it's really about, you know, maybe you, you could call it um, Iron Man versus RoboCop, right? So Conversica maybe is like RoboCop. It's a machine that's doing a human's job. Um, whereas Iron Man is, you're actually giving a human a superpower, right? So if I'm a manager, I can't sit in on the hundred conversations that my team is having in a given week, but Chorus can sit in on all those meetings and it can tell me these are the three meetings and the five moments that you should listen to in order to be, you know, up to speed. These are the meetings that you should listen to. This is where something interesting happened. Um, and so in that case, you're really just supporting humans in the jobs that they're doing that they don't have as much time for. Oh, I like that image of, of you know, giving a human a, a superpower. I mean, that, that I think is because I mean, I don't, I don't really foresee in the near term, even like Conversica, you know, following up on leads, that's great. But at some point, you know, a human needs to intercede, right? And as you said, it's looking for the signal among the noise to say, okay, now it's time to get the human involved. But yeah, the fear, I think of, you gave two good examples. I think the fear of, of being replaced, I think is somewhat meaningless, but I, I like this idea about enhancing the individual and AI doing that. I think that's, that's an exciting future. Yeah, and there are, there are some really cool companies. I mean, if, if you look at, um, like, at the top of the funnel, right, if you, if you look at a company like DataFox or EverString or, or Nudge.ai, you know, they're going out there and scanning for all of these signals um, in the news, in the media, um, to, to figure out, you know, hey, here are, here are five pieces of information that suggest that this might be a good time to reach out to somebody. Mm -hmm. And here's something that you can use to, you know, to start that conversation. And so, again, it's not, it's, it's replacing a part of a role, but at the end of the day, you want a human to look at it and figure out, okay, what do I think is going to be most relevant for this person? Let me go use that piece of information. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it'll, you know, it'll keep evolving over time. Um, because the other point to make is that we're really in the infancy of, of this entire AI and sales um, phase. And in some situations, the data is out there, which makes it easy for an AI to come in and add value. Um, in other cases, like in, in the case that we're working on, um, very few people actually even capture their conversation data today. And so, sure. it, you know, you almost, you almost have to take a step back and say, well, you know, what's the data that I think is going to allow me to have an advantage over my competition? And how do I make sure that I have good, clean data so that these algorithms, you know, whether I believe in them today or not, they are going to keep getting better and better and better. And you're going to, you know, you better hope that 
if that data does matter, uh, that you have something historical that, that these algorithms can go in and learn from uh, to make you more competitive in the future. Yeah, and, well, and then the, the whole other layer, which is just how good are the algorithms to begin with, right? So mm-hmm. <laughs> there's you know, an interesting book, I don't know if you've read by woman called Kathy O'Neill called The Weapons of Math Destruction. And she's a, <laughs> a she's a, a big data uh, person, worked on Wall Street as a quant and a professor in data sciences, but you know, makes the argument that part of the problems that we have with our algorithms is that they're designed by humans, right? So there's always this human assumptions that go into forming the basis for the algorithms. So um, the algorithms themselves obviously have to evolve as well to make a AI achieve its potential. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. All right, so you've been doing some research. It was really interesting, uh, and you provide, provide me some data on this. You've been doing some research using your platform on discovery calls. Uh, and so you've analyzed a large number of discovery calls, and I wanted to sort of walk through some of the findings because I thought some really interesting things that popped up. So maybe you could just sort of summarize some of the key findings in your research. Yeah, so you know, just to give a little bit of context overall, um, we have over half a million conversations that have been analyzed by Chorus. And one of the things that we like to do is see if we can find some patterns that are you know, more broadly applicable mm-hmm. uh, across different customers. Um, and obviously, I'm, I'm a big believer that every buyer is different, every buyer's journey is different, every sale is different. So I try not to paint things with broad brushes. But um, given how important discovery was, you know, it was... We, we started with the talk to listen ratio, which, you know, everybody, I think at, at this point, we know like, hey, it should be a pretty balanced conversation. There's no rocket science there. Um, but what our customers were asking us was, well, telling a rep that they have a bad talk to listen ratio isn't actionable um, because what you need to do is help them figure out, well, how do they get better? Right. How do they mm-hmm. how do they improve their talk to listen ratio? And obviously it comes down to questions. Right. And so we got really curious about, well, what, what could we discover if we looked into the types of questions that people ask during discovery uh, and demo meetings? Um, and so we looked at that. And, and what we found was it was a couple of things. The first one was that although there's a, a broad distribution, on average, a sales rep asks about nine questions before they get into the demo. Okay, so that we're saying, and let's assume that we're talking primarily about inside sales team. So that was an SDR or SDR and AE or whomever else is is tasked to do the demo. In aggregate, they're asking nine questions. Yeah, so our our customers are primarily account executives. So this is an account executive that's actually doing a discovery uh, with a prospect. Okay, so they're assuming the discovery precedes the demo, which again, (laughs) not always the case, right? (laughs) You You should hope so. Right, you should hope so, but it's trust me, it's not always the case. Okay, so nine questions before before the demo, but that wasn't. It seems like you sort of dug a little bit deeper on that and and found that actually perhaps there was a better metric. Yeah, and so you know it's 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 interesting because the the first question that we had was well, well why is that? Because nine questions doesn't seem like very much, um, and so you better make them count. Um, what we found was that you know not all questions are equal, and so there you know we defined a a, a thing called an engaging question. And an engaging question is a question where the rep asks something open-ended, right, or asks the prospect to elaborate or explain something, um, and then it gets the prospect to actually talk for an extended period of time. And so what's really great about an engaging question is that it's something that's in the rep's control, which is, you know, did they ask a good open-ended question, but it also gives you an indication of how open the prospect is to sharing information with you. Um, and this was really the big surprising insight because we found that if you have even one engaging question, 
in a discovery call, your win rate on the deal will increase from 14% to 26% on average for these SaaS customers. Just on strength of one engaging question. Okay. Yeah, I can I can see that. I mean that 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 I'm trying to think about the whole nine questions. Nine a lot or a little. Um yeah, it's so hard to play that back. But yeah, I can I can see that. Yeah, one good question. I mean, I think that that you know, you think about like in the the challenger customer, they talk about, you know, that one question that you're asking the customer, something about their business they should know but don't. Right? I mean, if that's your one open ended question, that's gonna engender quite a conversation. Yeah, and it's and it's also I think an indication that you've done like I wouldn't say that if you ask the question you've made it. It's more that if you can get to a point in a conversation where you've asked something probing and they've really gone on for like, you know, 20, 30, 40 seconds to to describe what they're going through, then it's a good indication that they're a serious buyer, that they're willing to share information with you, um, and you're gonna be able to take that information and do something with it. So it sort of caused me to think when you said 30, 40 seconds. I mean, is that looking through all these calls, is that a long response? It, it actually is. Yeah. I mean, you're you're not often going to get too many conversations where, you know, if you look at, we call it the turn length, but where you where you have a turn length that's over a minute, right? And you, you hope that you're going to get that early on in the conversation. Um, but sometimes, and this was one of the other things that we found, a lot of sales reps will ask a lot of questions in short succession. And, you know, some managers describe that as almost interrogating a prospect. Right. And we actually found that if a rep asks too many questions too quickly, it'll actually shut prospects down. They'll be less likely to get into one of those engaging moments where they're talking for a long time. That imbalance turns people off, right? Because you know people are saying, well, there's a couple of things that turns people off. One is, at least in my perspective, in my experience, is when the rep gets into that, that mode, is they're basically, they don't understand, right? They don't understand the questions or the value of the questions or the answers they should be receiving. And so they're just asking more questions. Yeah, and, and I think the other the other thing that we found, because obviously you want to double click and find examples to, to understand what's really going on. But a lot of the time what we found was that the really best reps that are asking these engaging questions well, they're starting with the big open-ended questions early on and using them to, you know, to, to demonstrate their expertise and understanding of, of the situation. And all those peppery questions that are more really basic qualifying, you can push those off to the demo, right? You don't have to do them really early on. Like, oh, Andy, you know, how many sales reps do you have? And, you know, what's your what's your target for this year? And, oh, are you using this system or that system and that system or that system? They're not, those are questions that help you as the rep, but they're not going to engage a prospect and they're not going to demonstrate your expertise. Um, and so what we found is that, you know, if you can avoid, you know, those short factual questions early on, and try to push some of them later on into the conversation, you'll get a more engaged prospect. Now, later in the, on in the conversation, meaning be still before the demo, though? It can be before the demo. It can be during the demo, right? So sometimes you'll be going through the demo and there will be an opportunity to say, you know, here, you know, here's a place where we can see, you know, where you could break down the performance across your sales reps. By the way, how many reps do you have right now? Okay. And, you know, are you planning on growing this year? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can just throw in those factual questions during the demo and also make the demo more conversational as opposed to it just being, uh, you know, a one-sided monologue. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I agree. I think that uh, good best practice for discovery is, is, yeah, to have those, as you said, start with the bigger open-ended questions. And they really become sort of almost confirmation questions, right, as you start feeding back to the prospect to, to say, okay, 
I want to sort of mirror back to you what I think I heard. To me, that's the time where you start throwing in some of these confirmation questions about, you know, size of sales team or, you know, the things that are sort of standard qualification questions that you need to have answered to help you sort of shape the demo is they fit right in there. Mm-hmm. Well, I, have, I actually have a question for you. Sure. Um, we, were, we, were, we were wondering why some reps feel the need to go into the demo so early, right? Having asked only nine questions. <laughs> I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah, well, I go back to the, I, my experience has shown me, and in general, over the years, is the rush to get to the demo is sort of the reason why you want to sort of rush from stage to stage or try to rush from stage to stage is that is you, you don't want to be asked something you don't know the answer to, right? You don't want to be exposed as not knowing. See, the thing about asking an engaging question is it's not the first question. It's really the second question you ask that's really the important one, right? The one that's in response to the answer you get. I mean, you can have a great opening question that, that they'll talk for 30, 40 seconds a minute. But it's really that, to me, it's that next question. That's when you that's when you really start getting them to open up. And then they can be a simple question or something as easy as, uh, wow, that's that wow, that's really interesting. And what else can you tell me about that? Yeah. Yeah, Andy, tell me more about that. Yeah, or tell me more about that, right? So that suddenly becomes that's that's the <clears> great <throat> thing. But when you open that door, yeah, you, know, you have to have some understanding of that path they're gonna be going down, right? I mean, you're gonna learn new things, but if you just sit there sort of a blank look on your face the customer is going to pick up on that or a blank look in your face virtually uh based on the tone of your voice or whatever they're going to they're going to pick up on that pretty quickly so um how do i circle back to the question <laughs> question you ask is is um what was the okay what was the question again just I, i'm having a, a brain yeah why a brain you mode. know why 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 only nine questions and then feel this pressure to get to the demo yeah it gets just back to lack of comfort and so I think that, that you see too many reps that just want to short circuit. Okay, I ask the questions. The questions are on my script. And even though the customer may have opened the door to a more in-depth conversation, they, just, they say, okay, I fulfilled that requirement. I got to go. And it's not about fulfilling the requirement of asking the questions that are on the script. It's about truly understanding what the customer's needs are. Yeah, you know, one of the, one of the, the ideas that we had that, that came from some of our customers that saw their data was... You know, I think that, uh, you, you know, the reciprocity principle, yep. this idea that, you know, okay, I've, I've asked you, you've given me some stuff and now I, I feel compelled to give something back to you. Mm-hmm. So some of the managers that we work with looked at the data and said, you know, I think that sometimes our reps just feel like the, the easiest thing they can give back to a prospect because those prospects, you know, answered their questions, um, is the demo. And so it prompted this question of, well, what other, what other type of value could we could we arm our reps with so that after they ask those initial questions, they don't feel rushed to go right into the demo, right? Could you could you give a uh, you know like a, an interesting piece of, of industry insight or you know maybe it's a case study or you know anything that helps somebody you know that somebody's going to see as valuable um, besides just defaulting to the demo? Um, because I think what we what we'll find when we when we are able to double click on this even more. Um, is that a lot of the time, just because you've asked those questions, doesn't mean that you've surfaced all the information that you need to fully qualify the op. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, you shouldn't assume that you're going to fully qualify the op or un- uncover all the requirements during a discovery call. I mean, it's, it's, it's a point in time, and you don't have unlimited amount of time within, within which to do it. And, you know, customers are sort of gauging, okay, is this still worth my time, right? So, 
you know, you have to uh, sort of look at qualification and discovery as sort of an ongoing process throughout the various stages of your your process. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, once the customer learns more about what you're doing, they're going to learn more about what their requirements are and what they potentially could achieve and what their goals and objectives might be. Maybe they'll reset it. You know, once they learn you have certain capability, wow, we can do more at this than we thought. Well, our, our objective for this investment's changed. Mm-hmm. Well, you need to discover that and you need to qualify against it to make sure that it's still something that you're the right fit for. You know, I, I sort of refer to this and I've written about this in you know, sort of relative to Heisenberg's principle of uncertainty of the observer effect, right? The act of selling someone changes them. So or you, you would hope so. Yeah. So you, well, you can, if, right. Otherwise, you're just going to lose the deal. But the fact is, you have to be sort of mindful of the fact that at all times that this is not a one-time event. And I think that's why you get the sort of nine questions and done. We give people scripts, give people playbook. This is the discovery playbook. If I ask these questions, I can check the box and say, I've met the exit criteria for this stage. I can go to the next one. Even though the, you haven't fully understood what the, the buyer wants. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think, I think that those, you know, realizing that you only have, you know, that, that you only have a certain number of questions before you're going to move on. That, you know, the natural question is, well, how do you how do you make sure you're asking your team's asking the right questions, right? That they're not wasting questions early on, that they're not digging into things that are not necessary, and and really focusing on what is it that I need to understand at this stage to decide whether or not it makes sense to invest more down funnel, right? To 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 try and advance it. Because one of the, you know, one of the one of the things that Trish Bertuzzi told me about discovery was, you know, you're never gonna have a more leveraged point to evaluate an opportunity than early on. Because once you once you decide to push that into stage two, all of a sudden you're putting so many more resources against it, so much more time, so much more everything, that um, you know you, you better be sure. And so this, this is the question that we're really trying to focus on uh, with our customers. How do we help you figure out what these key questions are? How do we make sure that you're, you're getting all the information that you need early on? And then what are the right questions to be asking further down the funnel um, so that you know, you can either decide, do we, do we put more into this or is it not the right time? Let's push it off. Well, and Trish has identified sort of the key points is, you know, we have this whole sunk cost fallacy that mm-hmm. the people have to deal with is that, yeah, once you've migrated someone to a new stage and you start to make that decision to invest more resources, if you get a stage further and then you say, oh, whoa, hang on a second, this no longer looks like a fit. Well, there's all this inertia that's been created to say, look, we, we really can't stop the ball at this point, right? We've invested all this money in them. I'm sure we're going to get this deal. And, you know, it's a huge cause of, you know, opportunities in the pipeline that just never close. Because you're not going back. You're not continuing to ask the right questions throughout the entire process. And you don't have the guts to say, yeah, this one no longer fits. Or our odds yeah. of winning this are no longer good. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that actually surprised us with our with our data, because we, we obviously look at um, Salesforce data as well, is just how many deals uh, never end up in closed lost, right? So they mm-hmm. just they, they either advance or they just go they just go quiet, right? And and eventually maybe they get put into no decision, but it really just means no movement. And so if you think about all the you know all the energy that goes into pushing these deals further on, that eventually just um, you, you know goes stale. Um, I wonder if you'd if you'd find that it has to do with the quality of the discovery early on and and seeing if there really was a fit. Well, I think so. I think absolutely you'll be able to trace that. I mean, and and again, with the caveat that discovery sort of is going to go through the demo as well. It's going to go into just not going to stop. But yeah, there's something that you miss early on that gives you the opportunity to sort of say, yeah, these people 
are going to go ahead and make a decision, right? I mean, because that that's really what you're trying to you're trying to suss out in in the discovery is yeah you want to know sure that you know they're qualified for the product that you're selling them but you most importantly want to know that they're actually on a track to make a decision yeah i couldn't agree more so this is i mean this is one of the examples of some of the high level data that we put into dashboards for our customers um just because if you do want to see you know at a glance hey how are we doing in this part of our sales cycle um then looking at discovery you know question number one is how many discovery meetings are we having um, are we getting prospects talking during that meeting? Because obviously, if it's a one-sided conversation, it's not a very effective discovery. And how good are the various folks on, on our team at asking these engaging questions? And then what are those questions? Because can we use them? Um, can we use the questions that our best reps are asking to sort of standardize and create a repeatable process around having good discovery, getting prospects talking, and then having better information to decide whether or not to, uh, you know, to pursue the deal further. Yeah, no, I think, I, I think for most teams, that'd be valuable data because, you know, so often now, you, even with sales training, can supposedly state-of-the-art sales training methodologies, in discovery, they still have this whole idea about focusing on pain points. And, you know, asking about a pain point is not an engaging question. I mean, it's 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 a point it's a point solution without being redundant, right? So I mean, mm-hmm. you, when you you list out some best engaging questions you had, and that you found through the research, and none of them were about pain points, right? It's about what you want to achieve, what the buyer wants to achieve, what are your goals, what are your objectives, right? And you're fundamentally in qualification. What you're trying to discover, what you're trying to understand is where they want to be at some point in the future, whether it's twelve or eighteen months away, where they are today, and what they perceive it's going to take them to get from here to there. And if you understand that, that's what you're trying to find out in discovery. Yeah, and the the value they put in that and so on. And it's like, that doesn't have anything to do with solving some pain point today. It's like, where do you want to be? What are you aspiring to be? And you're engaging questions. If you can bring those up into a dashboard, those types of questions are the ones that are going to fuel the reps to ask ask the right questions that engage people in conversations. I couldn't couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) Wow. Okay. You've said that several times. I'm doing a great job today. So, um, gosh, we're actually we're sort of <laughs> running out of time here. Um, we're going to have to have you back. We'll talk some more because we've got a lot of things yeah. still, to, still to talk about. So, Roy, um, tell people how they can find out more about Chorus and connect with you. Sure. So, uh, if you want to find out more, just go over to Chorus.ai. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter, at uh, Roy R., and I always love talking to sales leaders with strong opinions uh, to get input on what we're building uh, and how it would be helpful for you or your team. So uh, looking forward to continuing the conversation. And Andy, thanks so much for having me on today. Hey, my pleasure. And friends, thank you for spending this time with me today. Uh, make sure you come back and join us again tomorrow. Another great episode of Accelerate. And until then, if you get a chance, really appreciate it. Go to iTunes, wherever you listen to this podcast. Subscribe if you haven't done so already. Leave a review. Want to know what we can do to add value to this show for you. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.
Hey, sales strategists. At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales. We're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at Revenue.io.